Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in the film space course. This week is no exception as we wrap up our 90s action movie marathon with Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes and Sandra Bullock's and Benjamin Bratz and, well, demolition. Benjamin Bratz? Benjamin Bratz. Benjamin Bratz apostrophe S. Benjamin's brat. Benjamin's brat. If there are more than one. Yeah. Um, you know, he gets a little bump on the head and he thinks it's Pancho Villa. But here we are talking demo. Never mind. Uh, never mind. Demolition Man. Very, very fun times will be had by all. Let's go ahead and identify these disembodied voices speaking to your brains. Who are you, sir, to my left? I am Arthur Gordon. If you had read my study, you'd know that podcasting is how insecure heterosexual males used to bond. It's not incorrect. <laughs> Just as that line in that movie is not incorrect. Wowzers. Uh, to my right, sir, who are you? I am Dalton Stewart, and even the Wild West wasn't the Wild West. Fair enough, fair enough. My name is Dustin Sells, and I hope that Dalton will enhance his calm as we continue. So Dr. Fiance and I watched this together, and uh, she said, I'm going to start saying that to you, and I can tell you're getting worked up. Enhance your calm. I'm like, it'll work. I'll laugh. It's a it's a good chuckle. Answer calm, John Spartan. It's a very quotable movie. Hey. Dal- Dalton's real lucky we never implemented a fining system for cursing. Mm, <laughs> oh man. man, I would be so mad at Saint Angelus. This entire Angelus. thing would be entirely I would funded be, by Dalton's I would be profanity. John Spartan swearing to get toilet paper. That's um, a smart. That's a smart move. I almost yeah, started is. out with the quote of um, "What's your boggle." <laughs> oh my god, this movie is so good. It's. It, I mean, they're, they're. It's really well written. But you can take this podcast and shovel it. Um, close enough. Moving right along, uh, we are going to do what we do always on the show, which is analysis. Lick this movie's ass? Oh. Uh, as, no, analysis. Oh, okay. Not review, which means we will be spoiling it. And so you will find out whether or not, um, indeed, as in the opening scene, Simon Phoenix does indeed lose his head. Um, we won't address that until the very, very end of the film. Um, can he just loses his head sometimes. That's what he said. That's what he said. He does say that. And, uh, so we'll, we'll not do that. What we'll do in the meantime, though, is we'll have a synopsis from the voice of cinema, our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. And then we'll have a game that we'll play, which will be related to this film and might involve the mildest of spoilers. This week, we're probably pretty safe. Yes. And then, once we get down to business, all spoiler bets are off. Uh, You have been warned. So, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, without any further ado, let's go ahead and hear that synopsis, please. A police officer is brought out of suspended animation in prison to pursue an old ultraviolet nemesis who is loose in a nonviolent future society. Okay, yeah, that... All right, so that is accurate and a synopsis. So I go to you now, Dalton Stewart. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down review of the film Demolition Man. Yeah, this movie's a damn hoot. Uh, it it never ceases to to amaze. Uh, I, I've seen this movie a lot. I know you guys both have as well. Yes. Um, but the thing that really s- struck me this time was just how little the film prepares you for what it's going to be about. Um, we obviously open on the then future 1996, uh, basically in a world where the 92 riots never ended in Los Angeles. It is insane to me that the movie chooses to be that close. Like it's, you could have had yeah. it start in the then future 2000 and then skip ahead to like 2080. Right. In you know, my memory had 1999 because yeah. that was always for the apocalyptic end of the future. Right? Yeah. But for some reason between 93 and 96, uh, w- when the movie was made and when it was set, they we managed to like perfect cryotechnology and also like brain remapping 
It's, it, there's just some weird choices there. MK Ultra, man, look it up. Now, hey, you know what? You're not wrong there, brother. They're doing it. Uh, but again, it, it is shocking to me uh, that that's some about some of the choices they make about when in the future it's set. But again, the film does not prepare you for number one, the jump to the further future. And then number two, just what kind of future it's going to be jumping ahead to. Um, it really does not tip its hand at all. So when Sandra Bullock and Benjamin Bratt and, um, oh my God. Rob Schneider? Thank you. When Rob Schneider show up and start cracking uh, wise, it is an entirely different movie. It It is tonally jarring in a way that is super, super satisfying. Um, you know, we talk about tonal whiplash in films usually being a bad thing, but I think in this film it is its biggest strength because it goes from being a pretty standard early 90s action film and then becomes something kind of totally different until it becomes a 90s action movie again. But those sequences where it turns into a, a comedy about action cinema is, and it's not an action comedy, it's a comedy about action cinema, and that's a totally different thing. Uh, really a comedy about Joel Silver movies, uh, a film that was produced by Joel Silver. Uh, Sandra Bullock uh, in her office only has posters of Joel Silver movies, which is kind of a weird choice. Uh, don't know if that's a director's choice or a Joel Silver uh, bit of um, uh, ego. Well, see, auteurism pr- progressed over the mid-21st century into such a way that the producer became the only auteur that was recognized. Well, it kind of seems like we might be headed that way. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, but, that's how it all started out. It's, it's true. I mean, the producer package, um, that was a thing in the 19... Don't let me lie to you. 20s? Uh, I was going to say the 30s. 40s. 30s and 40s. I was guessing, honestly. I had no idea. Uh, but at any rate, it, it does become a different movie. And uh, a film that rests squarely, I would say, on Sandra Bullock's shoulders. She's the real protagonist of this film. It is not Sylvester Stallone. Now, he gets more screen time than she does. But she's the character that I think completes the fullest journey. She's the character that I think acts as the audience insert because who is the audience for action cinema people who want to see action you know like sandra bullock's character in the san angeles police department wants to see action um now again i am stretching a little bit here because i find her to be the most interesting character and easily the most fun performance and in a movie where wesley snipes uh does things like uh just repeat what uh, his prison guard is saying in Spanish, which is awesome. It's so cool. It's so he's so good in this movie. A movie where Sandra Bullock is is like more fun than Wesley Snipes is and is an insane thing for me to describe. But it is what th- this movie is. She carries the film, and it's not like a not fun Wesley Ni- Wesley oh, Snipes performance. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he's bad a thousand in this movie, and she just with such pure. Uh, wonder and delight in her face manages to really sell this character. And Oldsmobile 442 with... Yeah, if if Sandra Bullock, if if the character of Leanna Huxley is not good, this movie is not good. And I, I, to be the casting director taking auditions for that role and seeing Sandra Bullock come in and go, holy shit, this person's going to be a huge star. Uh, What a wonderful moment in Hollywood history. That happens in a dumb movie that nobody remembers. Nobody remembers that this movie launched Sandra Bullock's career. Everybody just thinks about Speed, but this movie comes out a full 18 months before Speed, give or take. Uh, And it's just wild to me that uh, one of the great uh, female stars of Hollywood's, you know, the late 20th, early 21st century, starts in a movie that's just about Sylvester Stallone's career in a lot of ways. 
But again, I for me, she is the protagonist of this film because I think she acts as the audience insert and has the fullest character arc. Uh and again, just has all the best lines and all the best jokes. She's good. Yeah, and uh, really, I know this is an action film. We're talking a lot about the comedic beats, but I think that is what elevates this film outside of uh, some other really fun performances on the periphery that we haven't talked a whole lot about. Uh, we don't need to enumerate them. I would just say that really every performance in this movie is a ton of fun. I think the production design's great. The future world that they've created that is this... Uh, 90s San Angeles. This 90s vision of uh, cultural politeness taken to a, a fascistic extreme, which is a very 90s thing to do. And yet, because of the conversations we've been having on the internet and about the internet over the last three to four years, I think makes this film even more relevant now than it was mm-hmm. in the 90s. It's just some really cool choices. And, uh, it's a film that deserves to uh, have had a longer legacy than it has. And I think it's just now, I mean, we're not the first people to, on the internet to talk about this movie. It's, you know, this is its 25th anniversary. Uh, and there have been a lot of writing about it over the last four or five years. Matt Singer, who we talk a lot about in the show over at Screen Crush, we're big fans of him, wrote a piece for AV Club a few years back. Uh, Arthur sent Dustin and I a bunch of really great pieces um, that if we were not so lazy, we'd probably link to in the show notes. But uh, at any rate, there's some some great writing about uh, Demolition Man out there. And uh, we're going to crack it open analytically a little bit more later. But yeah, I, I think this movie's a damn hoot. You're correct. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you think about Demolition Man? I, I think it's a fun ride. I, I really do. And it succeeds, like Dalton said, because of that shift that really takes you somewhere you're not expecting to you you this set is set up in that kind of post-apocalyptic world in 1996 and uh it's such a smart move uh to see the world revert to this more peaceful society like it's it's a brilliant uh strategy for this narrative to to take and i i think it works i i I think this movie is firing on all cylinders at it and at its peak when it's just delving into this world and, and that it's built and it's kind of showing us this and it does a great job of playing by these rules that everybody in the world understands except for us and Stallone. And there are so many things introduced that aren't really, they're all just throwaways. He's been frozen for less than a full lifetime, which is, yeah. and it's nuts that so much has yeah. changed. 37 years, right? Yeah, I, I mean, mean they're the most of the young characters in this film would have been alive when Stallone yeah. was frozen. Yeah. And, and yet they have completely forgotten his world. There's this giant event, I guess, in, in 2010, an earthquake, I believe. Which the is earthquake, yeah. The event of, uh, to, the event, as they always are, of 2010, which uh, causes a reconstruction of society. Um, and it's in one of the one of the articles we read, I can't remember which one it was, it mentions that, uh, you know, it's envisioning a 96 where the riots in South Central LA hadn't stopped and mm-hmm. it was kind of natural progression of where that, that world was heading. And, and to make that move into this utopian society or seemingly utopian society is is so smart, uh, and I appreciate that so much. And and it is Sandra Bullock who really is the heart of this film, and makes it so successful because she has this kind of naivety, uh, but also this awe and wonder and, and adoration and nostalgia for all things of the '80s and '90s. Uh, and you know when we walk into her apartment and she's talking about how much money she spent to make an authentic replica of a 20th century yeah. apartment and she has just all these gaudy knickknacks that nobody would have owned 
owned it, but they were probably in all the commercials or movies. And it's a blast. And she has the, you know, she has the Lethal Weapon poster. Like Dalton mentioned, she has a Red Hot Chili Peppers poster. Uh, there's another band, I think. And um, it's, 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 they're, they're just little, little things in that production design that really help accent this film's world and, and what it's done. Uh, and, and I'm actually really, you know, this is only the first feature of the director, and I grab his name real quick because uh, I think he's very fascinating as well. Um, where's it at here? Um, I'm trying to race you, Marco Brambia. I'm assuming um, who who only he did this movie and he did another movie. I think it's Excess Baggage with uh, Alicia Silverstone, and um, but that's all of his kind of film work. He actually goes on to become a, a visual artist who does a lot of different installations. He's got some at the uh, Museum of Modern Art and at the Guggenheim, and he's doing these video installations. He did also do the music video for Kanye West's Power. Yeah, uh, uh, and and so uh, I think you see flares of that here in the film uh, when uh, when Simon Phoenix goes to the kiosk and that little skull shows up. It's a very, uh, very expressionistic movement uh, where that skull kind of spirals into his pupil, and you got that little thing that's a very visual, artistic uh, movement. And then the 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 ver- the, uh, the versex uh, that neural uh, montage when we got that kind of very colored flashes of it's of her weird uh, that also feels another like. If you separate, that feels like it would be an art installation piece. If you Absolutely. just rip that Absolutely. out of this film, yeah. Um, so he's kind of doing those surreal moments, and I think it's very fascinating and, and kind of sad that we didn't really get more from him because I think th- there's something there that could be really fun as a like a surreal director or a you know this kind of avant-garde director. I think that mm-hmm. that's there, and we just never really got that, and that's pr- from working in the studio. But it is those flares that I think really add to this film. Uh, but like Dalton alluded to, for me, when it just kind of reverts back into standard action stuff in that that third sequence, it, third act, it kind of falters for me. And mm. I'm much more interested in this world and what's going on in this world than I am this 90s action film that we go back to at the end. Yeah, I totally check out in the third act of this movie for sure. And I, for me, I think that's partially, I just am not a big fan of... 90s action movie choreography uh the the action choreography that kind of became the the soup soup of the day in the early 90s and really that good uh because we now being an audience in the late 2010s know that the matrix is on the horizon yeah and it's about to change the fucking game for american action movies yeah. so when you see you know these i mean but again this is around the same time that heat comes out where michael mann is shooting these i'm not a huge michael mann fan but to you you would be uh foolish to say that his shootouts are not super good um so when we know that there's better stuff on the horizon and there's better stuff happening contemporarily i'm with you arthur it's we've gone back to an action movie that's really not that cool to look at uh and it seems to me kind of that it's tame i mean this is an r-rated film but it never really steps into this kind of violent film that it That's promises fair. to be and which is I was, I was thinking about it because spoiler alert it's been 25 years i don't care it's demolition man but you know he loses his head right when, right. when phoenix loses his head 
Um, that's Primo villain death. It is, but that's really the only moment of ultra violence or bloody gore that we see in this film. And even then, it's even the eyeball. Like Simon Phoenix's breakout yeah. is like alluded to be extremely violent, but yeah. we only get one moment. That's but we get like a bunch more of than PG thirteen bullets and, and things Lots like that. Of sleepy bullets. Uh, yeah. Well, it's f bombs that make it rated. R. Yeah, yeah. The uh, language is for sure. I mean, it's I, an R rated movie. I think I would have really capitalized. I think I would have cranked up the violence a little in that third act. And I especially, think it would have made it a little more interesting. I think you're absolutely right, Arthur, Arthur especially because it is a movie that talks about violence so yeah. much. Yeah. I, and I'm not one to you know, just say, let's make everything R-rated just because that makes it more interesting. But I think this is really one of those instances where the violence would definitely serve. I mean, there's a sequence in this film where they go to the Hall of Violence. Like, I mean, it's it's on the back burner, and they never really fully ignite that that element of the film of this kind of ultra-violent expose of, of Sly, uh, Sly's career. Uh, and so for me, it, it a bit uh, blah in in that third act for for what's set up in the first two. But I still think it's a very fun ride. I, I really do enjoy it. It's highly quotable. Uh, I think there's a lot to get out of it after reading some of these articles, and, and there's a lot of nuance there. And, and to really engage with the material, I think it has a lot to offer. So I'm very pro demolition man. My my biggest thing is it just kind of falls apart in some of the action stuff. Fair enough, fair enough. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I love Demolition Man. I think it's ideologically repugnant. I want to say that first of all. I think what it's doing ideologically is bad. But We'll talk about it because there are moments where I agree with you and moments where I don't disagree. Mm, Got to send a maniac to catch maniac. Well, not necessarily that. I th okay, I thought you were talking about more of the social engineering stuff. Uh, well, there. Well, well, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, we'll talk about it. But I, I think I. Well, I have a sort of. Okay, we'll get there. Later. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that being said, is Sly Stallone good? Yes. Is uh, Sandra Bullock good? Yes. Is uh, Dennis Leary good? Yes. Are we having fun? Yes. Is Wesley Snipes a great villain? Absolutely. Is his Rodman haircut absolutely awesome? Yes, it is. Is I, I don't even dislike the fight choreography. I think that opening sequence when uh, when we had the bungee jump off of the helicopter. The it, opening is badass. Yeah. And uh, you know the way it's shot as uh, Stallone makes his way to Simon Phoenix, I think that's great. I think it's excellent well, stuff. Well, and then um, there's a big showcase for uh, Wesley Snipes' martial arts uh, yes. talents uh, as he's breaking out of prison and on his initial rampage. I think those early action beats are good. Yeah, I, w I do want to preface that. And some of the stuff looks kind of janky, but I read a little bit later that um, part of the reason why it does is because he was kicking so fast that it was blurring on camera, which is kind of awesome. Because he's such a badass. He, he's a tough dude. I'm just, you know. Yeah, he is. He knows what's up. So, yeah, that's that's all working. I think the uh, just the way in which it is engaged socially, I don't know that the actual comments it, it is making are going to be the things that I'm going to fall on the same side as, but that being said, the fact that it's even engaging that kind of thing when we have so much meat-headed cinema going on at this particular moment in uh, cinema history, I think it's worthwhile, even though, again, I may fall on, the, uh, on, a, on, a, on another side uh, regarding those particular debates. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's done really well, and we got a Sting song at the end, I'm... I'm not mad about any of this stuff. I like it very, very much. So I like Demolition Man. I would watch Demolition Man again right this very moment. And uh, so I make no apologies for it, though I do find it ideologically suspect, but that doesn't mean that it's not interesting and important. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our biases um, as they are. I will not try to um, try to put them on some sort of spectrum. Let's talk a little bit about social media. Dalton, do the words. 
I will now do those words, Dustin. Hi. Uh, it's the part of the show where I try to make it quick so uh, they don't get too bored, but also, you know, maybe I do a little soft shoe so the guys have time to go for a bathroom break. Uh, you can communicate Fair with us. Point. Yeah, hey, look, this I know what my job is on this show. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can join us on the internet, uh, which is its own well of troubles. Uh, that's primarily going to be on Twitter at good underscore trash. We're on also on Facebook, but we don't ever update it. Neither should you. Forget about it. It's not important. Uh, it sucks. And honestly, if we uh, felt like taking the time, we'd probably go ahead and just delete this show's Facebook account. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It might be helpful to have a link to our website on Facebook. Who knows? But uh, we don't ever update it, so... I don't know. Don't worry about that. But if you do want to know what we're up to, it's going to be at good underscore trash on Twitter. If you're not already on Twitter, don't worry about it. I wouldn't bother getting on just to uh, check up on the show. But uh, if you're there and you enjoy this show, give us a follow. Uh, we try to do our best to put up uh, links to every episode as well as links to episodes of The Praise Down, uh, the other show that is currently running on Good Trash Media. Um, just making sure your lives are easier. Uh, but honestly, an easier way, just rate uh, or just uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, that way, you don't have to follow uh, those Twitter links as they're dropping. Um, that's going to be uh, the easiest way to get all of these new episodes as they're dropping weekly into your brain. Uh, is by subscribing on. Uh, I keep wanting to say Facebook. Jesus, subscribing on iTunes while you're there. I don't know. Maybe uh, give us a review or uh, something like that. That'd be awesome. It'd be pretty cool. Uh, if you do want to give us some feedback and uh, you've decided that uh, Twitter's a terrible place, as you would be correct to assume, uh, you can just email the show. That's going to be goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's also just a good place for any long-form feedback, even if you all are already on social media. If you want to support the show, as mentioned already, you can rate, review, and subscribe over at iTunes. Uh, you can also just talk to the people you know that like movies and like podcasts and, uh, you know, tell them about the show. Tell them why you like it. Uh, just to have a conversation about people you like, uh, about people you like, with people you like, about movies. That's that's all we really care about. Uh, if you want to take it a step further than uh, spreading the gospel of this dumb, dumb podcast that we do, uh, you can also go over to patreon.com forward slash GTM and give us some damn money. Uh, you don't have to do that, but it'd be pretty cool, and you'll get access to fun bonus content like uh, our uh, weekly, uh, weekly, monthly, monthly, quarterly, monthly fired up and pop culture discussions, our quarterly uh, reviews that we do, um, all kinds of fun paywall stuff. Basically, anytime we uh, have an idea for something fun that doesn't fit in the main show schedule, uh, we send it over there. Uh, maybe someday the Silly Marillion, uh, which is a collection of cut bits from the Praise Down with Heath and Alex, will make it. Uh, I know they have that edited. It's just, look, you know, there's two different production crews working for Good Trash. It's uh, not always easy to get all the streams crossed. Correct. Uh, but yeah, patreon.com forward slash GTM. cross the streams. Sometimes you got to cross the streams when you're putting out that content, baby. Uh, so yeah, give us that money at patreon.com forward slash GTM. You don't have to. Don't feel bad if you don't want to. It's fine. We're we're not we're not here to have a whole episode where we roast you about not giving us money. It's fine. Not a big deal. Uh, finally, hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you are going to go ahead and be on Twitter, I don't know, like use a hashtag or some shit so people know that you're talking about us. I don't know. Who cares? All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I believe now is time to play the game. It might feel good. It might sound a little something. But damn the game if it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? This week's game is our favorite jingles. Before we do that, let's uh, run an audible. 
Okay. Oh shit. Okay. We we, we do this in, in rare occasions when we have a marathon. But let's rank these '90s action movies. Oh, you're so right, Arthur. That is what we need to do right now. Lost okay. in Space, Armageddon, Face Off, and Demolition Man. Rank them, Dustin. Okay. Uh, let's just okay. I mean, you know, let's not even make an edit. Let's just leave that in there. I am. Okay. Yeah. Let's just do that that way. So number first is definitely Demolition Man. Okay. Number next is. Uh, Armageddon. Number third is Face Off. Number fourth is Lost in Space. Wow, Dalton. Really, that's interesting. Number one is Face Off. I mean, nope. Get the fuck off. You're so wrong. <laughs> nope. It's, face Off is a masterpiece it of is, '90s action. Compared cinema. to Demolition Man, yeah, die in a fire. No, Face Off has better action sequences. Is it a little too long? Yeah, absolutely. But it honestly feels like a dream. I mean, it just moves. It it has such a great pace. It's so silly and weird. It's so singularly John Woo. Dustin's rolling his eyes at you right now, but he was saying the exact same things about that movie on that oh, show. Oh, I like that movie a lot, but I don't like it nearly as well as Armageddon or um, Demolition Man. It's just got better action scenes. You just rated it above Armageddon. Oh, wait, no, you did rate it behind Armageddon. Yes, did. I did. I think it's insane. Because he's wrong. I think it's insane. Because yeah, I'm For wrong. you to put face off behind Armageddon. It's because you're not listening. It's it's absolutely absurd. Uh, so yeah, number one for me is face off with a bullet. I mean, it's just mwah. Number two is Demolition Man. I, I think Demolition Man Super is good. an unheralded gem of the 90s. I, I think it it's weird to me that this movie is so forgotten. And again, as we mentioned earlier in the show, I'm glad there is a conversation happening around it uh, this far after its release. Uh, surprisingly, number thir- three for me is Armageddon. I... Uh, I still don't love it, but I see why it holds a special place in people's hearts. I, I see the appeal. Uh, and last and certainly least is Lost in Space. No doubt. Uh, my pairings would actually probably follow Dalton's to a T. I, I would go back and forth. I, I do like Demolition Man quite a bit, and I think I might. Uh, because it's the second time I've watched it this year, so it might, if I watched it again, it might bump up. Uh, past face off. I think there's a lot to find in a rewatch of Demolition Man, and I think there's a lot to analyze. And I don't know if there's quite as much in face off, but face off is just because of those performances alone of Travolta and of Cage, it's on another, it is on another planet. I, I would agree with that, Arthur, and I, I think that's probably why Dustin goes Demolition Man number one. There is absolutely way more to think about and talk about with Demolition Man. Yes. But for me, the experience of watching face off is just such a joy. You finish. It's like getting off a roller coaster. You're like, I don't know what just happened. There's a lot going on. I need to do it again because I I need to keep up. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um. Okay. So, we're going to play the other game now? Yes, we okay. will do that now. So, this is going to be our favorite TV uh, jingles or TV show series songs. That's right. Favorite jingles and theme songs brought to you by Demolition Man. Demolition Man. Brought to you by Taco Bell. Brought to you by Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Brought if, to you by Demolition Man. If you want a dookie, <laughs> don't come, forget come the eat, seashells. Come eat a, a Crunchwrap Supreme. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's weird that we almost always close out our marathons with a game of ranking it, but for some reason it just we we felt like we had to play a game with Demolition Man. And uh, I don't think we were really full, fully looked at this as a marathon. Yeah, this was always a much a, when did, we our marathons are usually like programmed front to back as soon as we start. And this was kind of a lot looser going in. We just knew we wanted to talk about 90s action movies. There wasn't really a lot of thought put into There's never really a the lot of construction. 
you know, I, you, I would disagree with that. We put a lot of thought into the programming for that coming of age marathon. True. We had length, lengthy conversations yes, about it. It was probably our most intensive marathon we've programmed. Uh, at, at least the, the most intensely programmed the, of this year, for sure. So um, I want to move to another subject first before we go into this, um, the three seashells. Which uh, so I actually I have the information as well. But oh, you, you, wanna, you know, go ahead, Dustin. Well, yeah. I mean, the idea was that somehow you would use two of them, like chopsticks, to um, remove waste from the area, mm-hmm. and then scrape with the third, and uh, somehow then they would self sanitize. Was the uh, sort of theoretical usage of the three seashells? I love that there are theoretical articles about the use of three seashells. Well, uh, apparently the screenwriter uh, Daniel uh, uh, Waters really. Uh, had thought about it quite a bit and was asked about it in Q and A's. Uh, he he had ideas about uh, where it came from. Um, you know, it was, it was a whole thing. Uh, people put thought into this, which is really funny to me. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I think that's what make it work, though. I mean, to I mean to not say it. Well, to not say it, but to also put thought into those little moments, even though you're not going to. You know, it, it's when you're you're putting together a script, you're putting together a story of any kind. You, it's smart to have those backstories for every you know character or element, mm-hmm. and that adds to the world that you're building. And I think that's what works so much. You know, I'm thinking uh, this came up with Black Panther, right? Uh, when they're talking about the the, the Holt, their Bible or whatever, you know, they actually wrote all these different yeah, Wakandan, like the Wakandan documents, Wakandan right? Yeah. yeah, and I think that helps to have a more fully realized world. And I think that's what we're you know, I'm, I I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't another what thirty amendments that they thought about for this film i certainly hope there are i really hope that they have they know exactly which each of those amendments uh, yeah are and i wouldn't be surprised well because he actually called uh, daniel waters the the screenwriter for uh, one of the screenwriters for demolition man uh knew that he wanted to have a funny thing about butt wiping uh having changed and he actually called a buddy of his uh, who was a screenwriter and was like hey man i'm i'm stumped you got anything uh and he was actually taking a dump and answered his phone and goes well i got a like a bag of seashells in here that i use as decoration he goes perfect i'll use that i'll use that wow. so yeah the wonders never cease huh all right well let's talk about jingles now and tv themes dalton go uh my first pick is uh, a lyricless uh tv theme but uh one that i just absolutely adore partially because of uh the opening animation but it is the theme music to futurama uh it's just a good piece of music i i like it a lot i love that opening sequence uh the uh, changing billboards uh, is just a fun, much like the couch gag on The Simpsons. Uh, the changing billboards is such a fun thing to look for uh, on Futurama. Is and, Futurama Danny Elfman as well? Ooh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's uh, Matt Gradig and uh, you know a couple of other different creative bodies behind the creation of Futurama. But I just love that piece of music. It's uh, it's delightful. Mm-hmm. All right, we're not gonna worry about that. I I've sang enough today to. Uh, pissed us off, so I won't uh, push my luck. But that's my, my number first pick. It's a wise decision. Uh, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Sir. What is your number first pick, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Uh, it's one that I've always just had in my head, and I'll refer to it. I, I don't know why, because I never bought this product, of, I don't think ever, um, but it's Bagel Bites. Yeah, bagel the pizza bites. Bagel Bites, right? Pizza in the morning, pizza in the <laughs> evening, pizza at supper time. When pizza's yeah. on a bagel. You can have it any time! It's so clever it's so well put together and it's so catchy i've i've had it stuck in the back of my head for however long those stupid pizza bite things have been around uh and a I think full damn two decades that's yeah. either a good jingle or a bad jingle i don't know that but to be able to just 
impart itself into somebody's head, right? And I, I feel like that's probably the Ajax of, of the, the, the previous generations. But, you know, I, I think that's really what works for a good jingle is just to uh, be that memorable. I, I, I do feel like we should probably mention, in case there's any listeners who decided to not watch Demolition Man and just listen to the episode, uh, <laughs> so you know what's going on. Don't give them context. No, I'm going to help out a little bit. Uh, one of the no most, training wheels. The most popular oldies station in the city of San Angeles is a station that just plays what? Oh God! What does Benjamin Bratt call them? Microtunes? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, which it turns I out. I wish is, I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. It's Armor Hot Dogs, actually. Uh, well, they did the Armor Hot Dogs, but they make an Oscar Mayer kind of kind those Armor Armor Hot Dogs? The dogs. I only love to buy. I only know that jingle from this movie. I actually know the Armor Hot Dogs jingle from The Simpsons, where they do a gag with it there in The Simpsons. Really? Yeah. So I, I have it ingrained in my memory, but from, from The <laughs> Simpsons as well. Okay, I just wanted to give the listeners context. I know you guys want me to push them down a wheel, Which is, a hill and we with can no training wheels. get into this in analysis, but it, it's so, you know, this this world is so driven by capitalism that we've reverted uh, to our... Uh-huh. Oh, it completely and utterly driven by it. That's it, such a, it's, it seems like well, such a throwaway joke, but it, you know, it like really the, reinforces... Like the music industry. Moving on. Oh, damn. <laughs> Shots what's, your, what's your number first? My number first, first I Feel Like Chicken Tonight. Um, do you remember Chicken Tonight? That was so catchy and just, yeah, absolutely one of those great little jingles as far as my, you know, 90s growing up um, that's just stuck in my brain. I had a, a step nephew. I'm trying to remember exactly what the relationship would be. Uh, who was, I don't remember, maybe two, maybe three years old. Uh, and he would also sing the Chicken Tonight song. And Chicken Tonight was like this sort of weird version of like Shake and Bake, basically. Gotcha. And, um, you know, it's Shake and Bake and I helped. Um, but it was a different thing, but it's the same basic idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I feel I like do Chicken remember Tonight. remember that. Wow. It, it, you know, it's, it's an addictive I haven't thought about song. that in a long time. You're welcome. All right, moving on. Number next, Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Movies, movies, new hit movies. I can't remember the rest of it. I think it was Showtime. Uh, it was either Showtime or Cinemax. It wasn't Probably, I had Showtime, so I think it was Showtime. But God, that is every time I hear Ode to Joy, I cannot uh, not yes. think of that goddamn <laughs> jingle. That, that jingle has not existed for over 20 years now, I think. Yeah. And it is ingrained in my brain. Uh, and look, that probably says and a lot. He's of, insane in the membrane. I'm cuckoo banana pants. Uh, that probably explains a lot about me and my desire to keep talking about movies on the damn internet, uh, despite my better judgment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I can't. Every time I hear "Ode to Joy," there's I watched uh, 104, uh, Room 104, the HBO anthology series, uh, is back on the air for season two, and there's an episode uh, in which "Ode to Joy" is featured prominently, and literally every time they talk about it, play it. Uh, I I just in my mind the whole time movies movies new hit movies <laughs> I can't escape it I wish I could and yet there it lies. Alrighty, number next for you, Mr. Dalton St- or Mr. Arthur Gordon. Thank I you, have become uh, Arthur, destroyer of worlds. Thank We've, you, Dalton. It's a face-off. <laughs> oh no! Oh man! Yeah, I want to watch that movie. Number next, well, that new hit movie. Hey, you know what I'm gonna say right now? The height difference is not negligible. <laughs> no, it is not. Um, <laughs> Arthur, what is your number next pick? Beans and cornbread. Boom, boom, boom. Beans and, and cornbread. cornbread. Boom, boom, boom. boom, boom. boom. 
Uh, yeah, that little what was that the Friday night movie on TNT? I mm-hmm. think it was or TBS. The, was uh, it was it uh, Joe Bob Briggs? Was that his? Yeah, yeah, I his, just remember that song. I, I I remember they were in a kitchen and they would cook be <laughs> cook a food and then dinner in a movie. I think was the programming dinner in a movie and the beans, the beans and, and cornbread cool five o'clock. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, I still revert to it quite a bit. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, that's going to be mine. I, I, and it kind of ties into Dalton's, I think, that I, you know, this subliminal messaging of uh, premium movies. cable Watch channels. Yeah. yeah. Consume. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it was really, you know, we, growing up in Oklahoma, we had the, the Sunday Night Movie Club, or I think it was Saturday, or Saturday Night Movie Club on PBS. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. had its own little fun jingle, I, I, you know, and the, the host would make go get popcorn out of his machine and go... Uh, watch a movie, but it, it seemed like a more prime time mass uh, version of that, and so that that was always kind of cool to me. Yeah, every time that uh, the three of us get get on one about uh, consumerism and shit, remember how much money all of us spend a year collectively on watching movies, and let's, uh, let's remember that we're not above it. Try not to remember that. Yeah, no, I try to forget it a lot. Yeah, often. Me too. Yep. X Files. Oh, uh, man, yeah, that's a good that, one. That, yeah, I mean, that 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 little bit of a whistly sort of tunes is just incredible to me. And uh, it's a good piece. I think about it all the time. And so anytime anybody mentions Aliens, X-Files, that little bit of whistly just plays in my head. Just well, you want to believe, it. so that makes sense. I do want to believe in something. Me too. So uh, there you go. Hey, do you think they're not out? Do you, do, do you think they haven't found us, or do you think they found us and they're ignoring us? I think they lock their doors when they drive past. Yeah, I've seen that meme as yeah, well. I think so too. Yeah, it's a good joke. It's my theory. Yeah. Um, why have we never done an X Files movie? Are, do you, I mean, would you be up for that? I mean, is that something you're into? I'm totally into. Yeah. Do I need to watch the entire series before we watch the X Files? The movies? first movie does play into the overarching mythos of the government conspiracy, but the the, the 2008 one or whenever it was uh-huh. is a standalone narrative. Because I've like seen maybe three episodes of X Files in my entire uh, life. What? I know the the first this movie. This is me judging you. I, there's a lot of television. Dustin might correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, the first film, though, I believe bridges the gap between season four and five, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, because I, I knew the first movie came out while the show was still yeah. on the air. But the whatever the the second one was, totally was a standalone, just a narrative. sequel to the show. Yeah, gotcha. So and, and there there is like a uh, cut version, like a like a guide to X Files. If you were wanting to watch that particular movie to see just the uh, sort of conspiracy theory episodes and miss the monsters of the week, Although which I was the, never interested in. That I was more interested in the monsters of the week. See, I didn't care about the government thing. I, I, I like me the, either, man. I don't care about the government either. It was like Star Wars for me, because in Star Wars, I like the dogfight stuff going on in space, and I also like the space wizard stuff fighting, and I was okay with the intercut. I was like, oh, we're back to this. Okay, this is fun, too. And so, for me, it was always both, either and. Gotcha. You know? yeah. Well, if you uh, if you find that list of, here's the uh, the speedrun X-Files, yes. send, send me that, because... Look, I'm I'm not opposed to watching the show. Like I'm mm. interested in it. It's, I like David Duchovny. I I, I love Jillian uh, Anderson. Uh, so you know, I'm game for watching it. It's in my wheelhouse. It just I don't know where to start. I didn't get into it as a kid like I did with Buffy. So it just kind of passed me by. Fair enough. Well, number last, Dalton. Let's hear that. Um, look, I went back and forth on whether or not I decided to go ahead and do another jingle. Uh, I had another uh, theme song for a TV show in my back pocket. Uh, but I'm hoping maybe Arthur will bring it up. Uh, this is not a local podcast. We don't talk about uh, Oklahoma City affairs very often. Uh, I yeah, know what you're you know where do. I'm going. Yeah, I do. But here in the Oklahoma metro area, the Oklahoma City metro area, every Christmas we are cursed to all share one thing. 
no matter how different you are, every single human being that lives in this, what, 215 square mile area, plus the outer lying uh, cities, knows B.C. Clark's Jewelers. Yes. Why is that? Because most sales are after Christmas. Uh, Most sales are after Christmas, but ours is just before. Things are marked way down. Savings you can't ignore. From Oklahoma's oldest jeweler since 1892. So give the gift you know can't fail. From B.C. Clark's anniversary sale. Man, you really fudge those lyrics, but... I wasn't. Up. I wasn't prepared. Yeah, you had me tripped up. I wasn't either. I was off the dome. He wasn't born and raised here either. That's, that's true. The point in the city, in the city, no. But I the, was in Oklahoma. I I never heard that till I came here. Oh, it was on my it was on my antenna TV. Yeah, no, I never heard it till I came to the city. And the radio, the radio for sure. So yeah, it's uh, I got that Tulsa programming. Mm, there Ooh. you go. Yeah, they they they're not up in Tulsa. Oh yeah, Eastern Oklahoma, gross. Yeah. But. Yeah, look, that's an incredibly regional and specific reference. Um, here's the thing I learned recently, though. That jingle has reach outside of this state, apparently. What? Yeah, uh, there are people who are not from Oklahoma that are aware of the B.C. Clark shit, which is hilarious to me. Uh, but yeah, it is it is the jingle I think of when I think about jingles, because it has been around for... Well, not since 1892, but uh, literally my entire life. I think it's probably 50 years or better. I was going to say probably 50s or 60s. It's been a long time. Anybody who has lived in the Oklahoma City metro area for more than two years knows Knows that damn jingle front to back because they play it all the time. That's li- they literally had a commercial one year that was just a bunch of people singing at acapella, like just the Joe on the Street segments. Uh, it's nuts. Because we all know it. Yeah. Well, all right. Dustin doesn't. Nice pick. Well, I do. I just wasn't. Uh. <laughs> Arthur, what is your number last pick? I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back ribs. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back ribs. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back ribs. Chilies, baby back ribs with barbecue sauce. Yeah, man, that's a oldie but a goodie. No explanation needed. That's yeah. That permeated the culture. It was a joke in Austin Powers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, it, its reach exceeded, and it's very catchy, and it makes me want baby back ribs. Arthur, uh, I was hoping, let's go ahead and give some love to the theme songs, the rotating theme songs for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Ah, uh, I thought we, about that, yes. I did too. I, I, was, I wasn't sure if you were going to go for it because you've been watching it a lot I was, lately. My, my alternate, uh, I, I audibled while we were playing to the Chili's, uh, but my alternate was actually Fresh Prince. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. West Philadelphia. Obviously. Yeah. It's the TV theme song. It is an all-timer. It's it's amazing. But I I, I love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because the shift uh, to set up and replicate the theme of the season I think is brilliant. It is, uh, and that 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 first season theme song is uh, my favorite probably. Um, it's just very catchy. And I like two a lot just because of that, the line she's an ingenue. That's right. That's uh, true. It's really good. The uh, the blam coming out of the heart. Hilarious! It, it, that cut. It's lasts, a great cut. It lasts like three seconds. Just too enough long. to make it awkward. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I called an audible as well. Uh, I thought about doing the. Well, Dustin, we'll get to you. We get your final. We're pick stealing first. all of his stuff, just in case. No, no, none of them are mine. I, I, you're not going to pick mine. Velveeta? You're, no. You're, okay. You're not going to pick uh, mine. Not. Do you guys remember Nacho Man? Nacho, Nacho Man. I had not remembered. I want to be for, a Nacho Man. Wow. Yeah. I don't think there was a jingle, but I remember one eight hundred C A L A T T. Oh wow, that's yeah. One eight hundred collect <sighs> commercials. 
done when we look you know when we die and we have to experience our entire lives all the fuck over again we're gonna, we're gonna have to hear all these jingles so many times i wish i could like edit over those parts and i know i'm not gonna be able to which yeah. is a damn shame and uh and then i'll have to live this moment again and that sucks that is terrible actually yeah, yeah. sorry guys way to bring the moment down so I've got a, I've got a twofold pick for Hit my me with that. For, for my number last pick. Give it to me. Okay, so beginning with just the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles television series. Yep. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant. I mean, okay. Yes. Turtles in a half shell. Turtle, Turtle power. power. Uh, They're the world's most fiercest fighting team. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage. Yeah, it's great. Oh, you're not gonna. They're they're always fighting and they're green. Now you're on. being left hanging. Come on, Arthur. Okay. Anyway, uh, so that is a thing all by itself. But I don't know if you remember the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Michelangelo's a party dude. <laughs> <laughs> now you come in seriously. You're the. Just gonna wait the forty eight bars out. <laughs> you are absolutely the worst. Um, Turtles in a half shell. Turtle power. <laughs> so you remember the movie, right? Yeah. And did, who doesn't? Did you oh, did you buy man. the movie on VHS? Yeah, I had it on VHS. So you bought it on VHS. So you probably um, got this Pizza Hut commercial yeah, that was I did. on the front end of it. Yep. And off in the distance, the game's dragging on. There's strikes on the batter. Some runners on on. And suddenly, everybody's looking at me. My mind has been wandering. What could it be? I look up to the sky and I look up above, and a baseball falls into my glove because I play right field. It's important to know. You got to know how to catch. You got to know how to throw. Um, this. Man, anyway, that little yeah, no, baseball song stuck in my brain hard. I had forgotten about that. Every, and I never fast-forwarded through it. Ne- I no, always not watched once. it. Not once, yeah. Here, And that's a damn shame. When you watch that movie on Netflix, doesn't have that damn pizza no, commercial. You gotta have the, yeah, that's it's, just it was the part same. of the experience. Because then you had to go and convince uh, somebody to order you a pizza because you were eight and couldn't order your own pizza. And uh, you watched the stupid... Pizza commercial at the beginning of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In just the same fashion as if you had the Batman VHS from 1989 when Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny come on and they talk about this number you can call for Warner Brothers to get Warner Brothers movie books and Warner Brothers t-shirts and Warner Brothers bowl caps um, and all this. Do you remember this? No, I You're ain't totally You're looking at me like I have six this. legs. No, I'm loving it. No. Uh, yeah, there's a whole thing on the front do, end do, of do, do, do. Are you mm. loving it? I'm loving it. Anyway, um, so um, we've had some fun with, um, you know, uh, market uh, capitalism and what have you. And uh, I think now it's the right time. This has somehow become a marathon about fast food uh, thematical. Yeah, threads. we didn't mean for that to happen. And yet. And yet and still. Um, it's time to get down to business. And we are back, and that business is, as always, analysis. So um, how about that capitalism, guys? Yeah, well, we just spent a lot of time talking about commercial jingles, so we should probably just go ahead and jump to that part of uh, this movie. In a movie fueled by uh, the winner of the franchise wars, Taco Bell. So um, now all restaurants are Taco Bell. Now, thank God. Um, <laughs> we're going to get a burrito. Um, I could always but, eat a burrito. I could always eat I could really There's nothing funnier than Sylvester Stallone saying, I like Mexican food, but Taco Bell... Like okay, okay, Sly. It's a it's a weird line because look, if Sly Stallone, if if uh, John Spartan really does like Mexican food and he's from L.A., so yeah, that that makes sense, right? Uh, you know, you don't like Taco Bell, John Spartan. Nah, yeah, he's eating tamales off the back of a truck in a parking lot. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Mm. 
God, let's go now. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, yeah, because that's outside the capitalist system. That's part of why it's quality. Yeah, I'm like those saying. delicious rat burgers. Mm-mm. It's the best burger he's ever had. Best rat burger he's, best burger he's had in years. Uh, which is I don't doubt funny it. Line, as a, it's a good line. joke. So yeah, I mean, here is a a society in which all of this has just been utterly sublimated, right? And so we recognize that we don't really want to listen to music. We want to listen to advertising. So you know, the Pepsi brand, Britney Spears, that we endure right now, that has been. You know, the, all of the sort of layers of facade to sort of hide that have just gone away. And so we're just going to listen to, uh-huh, uh-huh, um, Diet Pepsi, you got the right thing, baby, with Ray Charles. There I are mean, more people right now that watch the Super Bowl for the ads than they actually do the fo- There's a football correct. game in between the ads. Correct. And so that's going on here. All restaurants are Taco Bell. And it is just super, super branded. Um, at, you know, just trademark branded registered world that we're living in here in uh, the San Angeles, you know, which is a new brand of city in this sort of megaplex uh, that they've developed here. And uh, that, you know, Sylvester Stallone is a brand and he knows exactly what that brand is. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, who rears his head in a reference, is also just a similar kind of branded thing. And it's a very specific thing that is kind of inherent to 90s action cinema in a way that i mean yeah like keanu reeves is a brand a little bit hugh jackman's a brand a little bit but tom cruise is a brand is definitely a brand for sure but i I feel like there's a permeation of action heroes as brands that existed in the 90s and 80s that doesn't really exist now uh again I, i could be you know uh, out of school here and completely wrong. Um, and while, I, yes, Tom Cruise is a brand, uh, I think, and yeah, you can make the argument Hugh Jackman's a brand, but it's it's not the same thing. Well, we don't we have movie stars anymore. And that was, I mean, yeah. those guys in the 80s and the early 90s were the last of the movie stars, right? I mean, the internet went wide. You could access any celebrity's personal life with a click of a button. And now it's a finger tap, right? I can get on my Instagram and scroll through 40 celebrity accounts that I've followed, whatever. I think part of that branding is just we don't. I mean, Tom Cruise is the last of a dying breed. Denzel's mm-hmm. the last of a dying breed. Tom Hanks is the last of a dying breed. But even now, movies aren't necessarily sold on the the actor anymore. I mean, that's a very bygone era. I mean, it's sold off of the of the studio. It's sold off the producer. It might be sold off the director. I mean, those are the the three guys or the franchise. Yeah, right. That's the other, yeah. Which is again, I mean, Taco Bell is a you know franchise restaurant, and so I mean that's that's what we're encountering here is, and it, it's weird to me because there's a way in which the branding occurs in the way that you find just sort of one thing to be notable that's not all that different, but it's notable enough that it's distinctive. And uh, so, for instance, the uh, the haircut of uh, Wesley Snipes, which he hated, by the by, he hated. His blonde haircut. Yeah, that, I'm sure that wasn't fun. And he shaved his head as soon as he was done shooting. And yeah. as soon as the film and uh, its trailers were beginning to hit uh, televisions and theaters, uh, one Dennis Rodman did dye his hair blonde. Oh my God, you're right. And so now we have the art imitating the life, which imitates the art, Whoa. and it creates a brand. And then he ends up making this action movie with um, one uh, John claude Van Damme, yeah, double something... Double, double impact. Double impact. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Which is, you know, again, just right around in the same vein yeah. of what we're dealing with. Well, they originally wanted Van Damme here in, in this instead of Stallone. They wanted yep. Van Damme and Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, yeah. And Jackie Chan didn't want to be a villain. Nope. 
Well, he hadn't broke here yet. I, I totally no. get that. I mean, it's it's you know one of those articles. It may have been a singer article where he talks about it. it's a couple years later before Rumble in the Bronx. Yep. Kind of introduces us to Jackie Chan. Well, and I, again, I, that it's a very specific thing that Matt Singer article brings it up. This is a very specific time in uh, American action cinema. It, it is we're post eighties. We're post Die Hard. We're post Predator. Uh, so, I mean, some of the greatest action movies that, that you know, are kind of a, the culmination of the 80s aesthetic have, have happened, and we don't really know what comes next in, in action cinema at this point when this film is being made. And again, we're not looking at an action auteur here as the dire- uh, action filmmaking auteur here, the director. Uh, you know, he's really a gun for hire, bringing uh, that artistic sensibility that he would go on, as Arthur's mentioned already, to, to further in, you know, museum pieces and stuff. So... I, I think it really is more the studio system reacting uh, as opposed to a, a singular artist reacting to an uncertainty in how do we make action movies now. Uh, and I think it is a knowledge that the, the 90s are going to be a postmodern decade and not really knowing what that means yet. But it is shocking to me the ways in which this film is so able to engage with the late 90s uh, being a film that was in production in like, you know, 91, 92 released in 93 it's it's really kind of wild uh how ahead of the curve this movie was yeah and again uh as we've talked about you know the consumerism that is rampant in this world of saint angeles the film knows what it's doing with that whole i mean there's an entire gag dedicated to the taco bell product placement a full like five minute gag right uh, which is wild that the the would you please join me at Taco Bell? And yeah, it's an entire joke, and then they bring out the tiny, like, fancy food that they're going to eat, and it's such a a hallmark of the movie Demolition Man that a few years ago, Taco Bell did a pop-up restaurant where they served the menu that they ate in the movie Demolition Man. I did not know that. You didn't that. know about this? No. Yeah, baby, talk about art and taming life, Wh- uh, when and vice versa. The, when, where, what, say more. Uh, this is like two years ago, I think, or might have been this year, actually, for the 25th. It was either for the 20th anniversary or for the 25th anniversary. Um, I mean, but it's been within the last couple of years. I think it was in New York. It was, I mean, it was only for, like, you know, an evening. The universe has jumped the shark. Yeah, no, it, we... Look, we need to be reset immediately. Yes. Yeah, we we need to do over. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely maddening. Uh, but it is to the film's credit that it sees this thing that's being forced to do, hawk Taco Bell's moist tacos, and will give you some money to make your movie have more explosions. It sees that it's being forced to do that and does something really kind of clever and funny with it yeah. that, you know, they would go forward literally a full 10 years later um, and community thought it was the cleverest thing in the world for having a you know two episode arc about Subway trying to put a restaurant in the school, and they keep making jokes about product placement. Demolition Man beat him to it. Like, yeah, look, I'm I'm a huge fan of that show, Community, but uh, Demolition Man's ahead of the curve. It's ahead of a lot of people with this this making jokes about the product placement. Um, so at this year's San Diego Comic Con, uh, from July 19th to Saturday, uh, July 21st, they did a 
uh, limited time pop up shop at at Comic Con. That's, so that's where it was. Yeah. Okay, that is insane to me. I can't right. believe you didn't know about this. Yeah, it no, was I did not know all over the internet when it was going on earlier this year. Okay, well, uh, so I guess that surveys um, the bit of about the commercialism that ties into our gameplay. Um, now, Arthur, you posted several articles, and so if we were writing a dissertation, there is a section in all dissertation writing. Um, I would know called the literature survey, um, in which you survey that literature. I didn't read the literature survey. So I'm just going to ask you, gentlemen, could you quickly survey for me the literature current writing on Demolition Man in 2018? Uh, well, Abraham uh, Reisman, Reisman, uh, Reisman uh, wrote for Vulture uh, about uh, this film's libertarianism uh, as, okay, it's yeah. of, as it's portrayed by uh, Dennis Leary's character. Uh, who says, I just, look, I know, I don't want this nanny state. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Don't tell me what to do. Um, and, and it doesn't really, the film doesn't, re- the article doesn't really tease that out very far. It, it mostly just kind of is highlighting the wackiness of the film, uh, some of the set pieces we've already talked about. Um, none of the articles that I, I read uh, really dove into anything too deep. There's a Dinah Geek article that I didn't actually have time to read that Arthur sent as well. Uh, I did read the uh, the Matt Singer article, which I had read before, which mm-hmm. really uses this film as a treatise on Sylvester Stallone's career um, and kind of almost talks about the film as a, a bit of a star is born kind of moment happening. That he's a dinosaur. That he's that... a dinosaur and, and Sandra Bullock is the next wave of mm-hmm. um, of Hollywood stardom. And yes. he is the dying wave of Hollywood stardom. So it's his article really does focus more on that aspect of how this film fits into the, the filmography. Uh, he's Sylvester coming Stallone. out of storage and yeah. doing his stuff. Okay, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah. that makes sense. For sure. And again, it's, it's a great article. Um, it was before uh, Singer was the editor-in-chief over at Screen Crush. Uh, so he wrote it for AV Club. Gotcha. But uh, it's, it's a really good article about Stallone's career. And the, the Vulture piece uh, that Arthur sent was pretty good. I, again, didn't have time to read the uh, the Den of Geek article. It's it's mostly, I mean, kind of a brief analysis review, just kind of reevaluating uh, gotcha. the the movie. I think Singers is really key. Uh, it really does unpack that that meta reading of this film, which I think is very fascinating. And unlike Last Action Hero, where I think it is very intentionally uh, evaluating Schwarzenegger's career, right. I, I I don't know how much of it is intentional. I think it is just kind of an accidental, th- you know. I mean, because Stallone's not the first, I mean, Stallone's not the first they sign on, right? It's supposed to be Van Damme, and it's supposed to be X Y Z, and then they get Stallone, right? Yeah. And I think it really that is kind of an unintentional thing uh, where we get that that meta reading because Stallone does get cast and Singer I think really unpacks it in his in his piece the vulture thing is just kind of this political reading of you know looking at this as a treatise on libertarianism uh, or you know what have you and so that's that that thing and it's an interesting piece the the vulture piece um, it is I, th- I think it is interesting and you know it, it, it on brings up i think that's the one that brings up on the surface this looks like it's a very pro-gun pro-action pro you know that whole mind mindset but it's a little more nuanced it's it's a lot more nuanced than that yeah as rachel bloom often reminds us i and i don't know that i i think what i find interesting about that aspect of the film that ideology um is just the the ways in which we can over-police ourselves and each other, um, and maybe it's really each other more than ourselves. I think it's okay to police yourself and uh, limit yourself to the things that are unhealthy for you um, and limit the things that you do that directly impact other people. But when you start uh, harping on other people's uh, you know, intake of cheese or uh, their intake sure. of cigarettes or their intake of... Uh, 
sex or their output of swearing, you start to sanitize human living in a way that it's not meant to be sanitized. Well, I mean, I think this is what the 90s moment is in, in terms of the, yes, the, absolutely. the state of this Los Angeles, San Angeles that we're dealing with here is that in the 90s, we have this movement where uh, political correctness is what we called it at the time. In which you say, hey, you know what? There are things you say that are kind of mean, and, well, they, and they make people feel bad. And that became, uh, over the last 10 years, a, a, a dirty word, uh, mm-hmm. when in reality, uh, people just didn't like being told what to do. And sometimes you got to be told what to do so you don't act a fool and hurt somebody's feelings on and, accident. And there are some things that provide for a public health crisis that need to be limited. I mean, there, there, there's definitely... It was rash- probably good we stopped smoking inside. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and, and that sort of stuff is um i think fine but what what i'm talking about with regard to the film is that it is this sort of old white guy that's what this film this movie feels like it was written by an old white guy who says and as soon as i turn around you know i'm not gonna be allowed to kiss a girl anymore as soon as i turn around you know i'm not i'm only gonna get it to eat a taco bell anymore and as soon as i turn around you know i'm not gonna be able to know even how to go to the bathroom anymore because now i've done all the things and i don't know what's going on and now i'm like a, a neanderthal walking in my own world well it's very appropriate that dennis leary is the character to have that screed because that was just what he was doing in the yeah. 90s, which was just what Bill Hicks was doing. Uh, but we don't need to get relitigate that. But that was his shtick in the 90s was, I don't want to be told what to do. I want to be an asshole, and I, I want to be left alone. And to a certain extent, yeah, man, I get that. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be left alone. But we're all also accountable to each other. Yes. And, I, it, and what it, I do affects you, so there's that. And look, it, it is a real uh, taking the middle road and not committing ending that uh, John Spartan has where he says, you get dirty, you get a lot cleaner, and meet in the middle somewhere. He's not wrong, though, is the thing. It is a non-committed, middle-of-the-road, moderate answer, but that's not always the wrong answer, Yeah, is the thing. Which is, you know, when we talk about things like, uh, again, the last two years have been wild and have recontextualized literally everything we do on this show. Yeah. Uh, When we say things like, uh, well, you can't punch Nazis because then you're just outlawing people's right to free speech. No, sometimes free speech becomes violent, and that's Mm -hmm. a different thing entirely. But when we're talking about the regulation of of a clean and neat society and a society of, you know, dirty hedonists, I think the answer does lie somewhere in the middle. We got to take care of each other. We got to take care of the planet. But also remember the whole point of uh, our limited lifespan. Put some shit in you that's not good for you, man. Have a good time while you're here. Well, I think where this sort of lies in that repugnant category is how the bad guy is typified then. So what does evil then look like? It looks like Malibu, Richard Gere, embrace of Buddhism. It looks like this world that becomes this namby-pamby thing. And yes, it is evil Mr. Rogers land. That's the sort of way in which it's going because then we're all sissified. It, 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 it runs against masculinity. It runs against uh, sort of red-blooded Reagan-era economics and uh, foreign policy. That's what the evil possible world looks like. It makes us all a bunch of sissies that we can be easily overrun by some sort of enemy. And I think you're right in that regard, because it does present this world as people who have not prepared themselves to defend themselves from Simon Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the counterpoint there, though, is uh, something the film does on accident, which is uh, it does a thing that a lot of films do is say, what's the future look like? Well, it looks Pan-Asian. Okay, well, we're all the Asian people movie. Mm -hmm. Where'd, Where'd you hide all the people whose culture you've ransacked? 
Uh, yeah, it's ransack Buddhism, yeah. yeah. And those people they, do suck. And those people kimonos, yeah. should be punched in the face for stealing other people's culture and acting like they were the first ones to do yoga. Calm down, Malibu. But uh, also, sorry about being on fire. That blows. Uh, that That's not fun. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. So we've got to be careful right now because uh, they're going through a hard time. They are. But also, Sandra Bullock has this line about uh, that Arthur referenced at the start of the show. Um, this is how these idiots used to relate to each other before they, uh, you know, got in touch with their feelings. And I think those are the moments where the film gets to have its cake and eat it too a little bit because it does take the piss out of that idea of toughness. Uh, even Sylvester Stallone, whose character represents what you're just talking about, Dustin, this machismo, does have a moment where uh, that I referenced at the start of the show where he's telling Sandra Bullock, you shouldn't be so excited about the possibility of violence because it's not good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is sometimes, as which is a fun line. But it lets John Spartan have a moment where even he recognizes the human cost of violence, which I think is really cool. And as Arthur mentioned, for me, is a moment where the movie could use a lot more gore because it could use, we're just being told violence sucks. We're not being showed that it sucks. Yeah. Uh, and next episode uh, of this podcast, we will be talking about a movie that relishes in showing you how much violence sucks. Uh, so I, I think it, it's a moment where the movie could use more violence and I, I think what we're getting at now, Dustin, is the film doesn't really want to say anything yeah. at all. I really want the Paul Verhoeven version of this movie. I guess yeah. is where it comes down. I to. think that I think that's a more interesting satirical take. So um, the next thing I want to just address as an opener is, you know how the cops all look like they're about to invade Poland. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, please? they really do look like Nazis. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do very much so. From the uh, from the Adolf Spring collection. Uh, these uniforms with their odd regalia and drab color tones do not uh, come off very befitting of a uh, fascist regime. Yeah, it's 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 a very polite fascism that exists in this world. As you mm-hmm. said, it's a very uh, middle-aged, rich, white guy Buddhist fascism, yeah. which is a bizarre place for a movie. It, it is a broke 30-something screenwriter in L.A. in the 90s version of a fascist society. Right. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is, yeah. Yeah, and and I think just that aesthetic is, that production design aesthetic is just carrying forward that idea that probably existed on the page. Yeah, and so what do you got to do? So you've got a problem in your world. So you've got a situation where you've created your Mr. Rogers utopia, right? And you're all eating at Taco Bell and listening to the Jelly Dream Giant. Mr. Rogers would not want you to eat at Taco Bell. Uh, Mr. Rogers would not, but Mr. Rogers is a saint and a superhero. But nonetheless... Um, don't get me started. I, I love Mr. Rogers, and I will... I, yeah, we all do. I will sing his praises at every opportunity. Yeah, have you seen uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor yet? Yes, I have. Okay. I cried like a little girl. Arthur just caught up this week. I did. I'm very happy I finally got around <sighs> to so seeing good, it. It was very good. It? Movie we will probably never get to talk about on this show. Oh, you know we will, because sometime. we're going to do top tens, aren't we? Oh, hell yeah, we will. Never That's mind. That's right, sucker. We'll see you at the and end And it's of only the year. one of the ten movies he's seen this year. Shut your <laughs> pie hole. <laughs> Um, but here's the thing about the uh, the fascism of this movie that I find to be really interesting is that, yes, it is this sort of future fascist kind of society that's sort of inflected with all these other bits and pieces of lots and lots and lots of stuff. But the way in which you have to impose fascism and uh, continue to uh, keep the narrative of violence going is that eventually what happens in your peaceful society is that you've got to have the super violent little faction in your back pocket in order to do that. And so the super violent back pocket is not John Spartan. It's Simon Phoenix. Simon Phoenix is this movie's Batman. 
Simon Phoenix is the character that needs to go down into Crime Alley and clean up what's going on down there. That they are unleashing the Batman, and that is the the way in which that fascism is being combated in this movie. That that's what this film is sort of set up as. Is Wesley Snipes is the Batman for this thing. He's the criminal who is you you have to get to get the other criminals, and then you have to get another maniac to catch that other maniac. It's a real uh, oh um oh crap that. Damn it! I don't know oh, what I you're trying to do. The analogy to. I'm trying to think of. Um, it's it's here's another analogy. It's like uh, all the times that uh, colonizers have invaded, uh, invited uh, species that uh, destroy the indigenous uh, ecosystem. So they bring over another invasive species to yes. eat that invade, and it just is. Um, there's a, a parable about this, about uh, eating a fly or something. I can't remember what I'm thinking of. Snake eating its own tail? No, it's not Nerberus. Uh I don't know what I'm talking about. It's not important. But you're right. I don't know why she swallowed that fly. And yeah, and then she swallows a Perhaps spider to get die. the. Yeah, she gets a spider to get the fly. Right. And then yeah, and then it's on and on and on until she's eating a cow or whatever. It's a is it a nursery rhyme that I'm thinking of? Uh, it's sort of a song thing. I don't know what you're thinking. It's of, not though. important. The point is, I like where Dustin's going with this, which is yeah, they they get. Uh, Wesley Snipes to kill Dennis Leary, uh, the uh, the evil Mister Rogers Cocteau mm-hmm. get, gets Wesley Snipes to kill Dennis Leary. Well, turns out that Sandra Bullock didn't know about his plan, so she gets John Spartan to kill Wesley Snipes. It's, it's basically just getting Batman to get Batman. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. It's it's a weird uh, invitation of violence that uh, th- this pseudo peaceful society has invited. And, and so, what you need is somebody with this sort of power beyond the law you need a criminal you need an outlaw to sort of enforce the law and you've got to make sure it's just a trusted person that you can do that and so you can overreach with powers privacy security whatever else needs to happen surveillance in order to accomplish those kinds of purposes because what ends up happening is it's for the greater good whatever that ends up looking like and so yeah yeah, this is unleashing the Batman, and Wesley Snipes is as much the Batman in this movie as is uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Well, because they're they're both uh, anti-authoritarian in their own ways. Yes, which is very interesting that both the antagonist and protagonist of this film, because uh, the villain is Cocteau. Yes, and Cocteau is killed before the start of the third act. Uh, but the protagonist and the antagonist both abhor fascism. Uh, one's just a libertarian and the other one's an anarchist. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting uh, to put those two things against each other because they are very different things, they even are. though they get put in the same package sometimes. They're, they're ideologies that are often associated with each other despite having a lot. And I would say it's probably cartoonish. Um caricatures of both ideologies well for sure it is i mean i don't like libertarian very libertarianism very much but i don't think it's quite fair even to it you know i would agree with that statement both of the things that you just said as a matter of fact uh do we have anything do we want to talk about sandy specifically um i we could talk about um her role as a woman and gender and that's what i was getting at yeah br sex well, I I just want to talk about her. Versex. Is that Ver- what she calls it? Versex. Versex. That's funny. I noticed it when the subtitles are on because it, it that's calls funny. it Versex. Just, yeah, phonetically verbalizing VRs is a hoot. Well, virtual. Ver. Oh, V I R. Ver. Gotcha. Versex. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kooky. Mm hmm. It's kooky. 
And so what what is I mean is she simply a motivation or a motive a catalyst for John Spartan? Because you you make an argument earlier that you feel like Sandra Bullock is the um, hero, the protagonist of this film. Oh, absolutely, I do. Okay, well I want you to expand upon that. Oh, I she is the character who sees the problem. She is the character that sees that I'm the best cop here. I know that I'm the best cop here because you know I'm the protagonist, and protagonists are always. Sure fully confident yeah. they are they know that they're in a movie you know they're the protagonist she looks around at her fellow police officers and says well you guys can't figure it out i can't figure it out and she's the one that has the idea let's get somebody up in this motherfucker who knows what they're doing is it not is it not the old guy who damn it who helicopter? actually knew john spartan you're right zach, the helicopter zachary. it is zach lamb yeah it is, is zach- zachary lamb who says you need an old-fashioned cop yeah but it, zachary lamb already knows the value of an old-fashioned cop i guess Sandra Bullock sees the theoretical value of an old-fashioned cop. She has cop. romanticized the idea of an yeah. old-fashioned cop. Zachary Correct. Lamb's character understands what that means. He understands that the uh, the shootouts that he's inviting into San Angeles. Sandra Bullock doesn't really understand what that's going to look like. She has a fantasy about what it's going to look like. And for her, I think that journey is realizing that that fantasy means, you know, actual sex, actual violence, and not Rat a, burgers. And rat burgers. And not Taco Bell, VR sex, Versex. And uh, movie violence. Uh, she she is not. She thinks it's Lethal Weapon three. Exactly. Yeah. And she she is having to realize the there is no going back button. She's about to push, and what the world is going to look like for her after that button is pushed. And uh, coming to terms with that, I think whether it is uh, thinking that uh, actual sex is gross or thinking, and again, I, I think the movie kills itself when it takes her out of the final fight. That's yeah. that's the moment where my my theory about her being the protagonist ends, uh, and it it and she rightfully accuses uh, him at first of taking her out of the final fight, and then concedes that he was right, which I hate. I yeah, that's yeah. disgusting. It's a choice that I absolutely abhor. Uh, and ain't no place for women and folk in this pure gunfight we're I having. Hate, I hate it so much. I hate it so much. But up until that moment, I think this is Sandra Bullock's movie. Well, I, I think it's doing that thing like uh, Big Trouble in Little China is doing, right? Where Jack Burton is the focal point of the movie, but you know we've got other characters who are the uh, actual main... Because he's just a goofball. Yeah, yeah, it's it's doing the Star Wars thing with the R2-D2 and C-3PO, right? It's, it's doing mm-hmm. that whole, I, I think, spiel where... Um, we can't. I mean, and Dalton hit on it earlier in his review. You know, she's the she's the audience stand-in, right? I mean, we we're not going to relate necessarily to Mr. John Wayne, uh, sliced alone, right? I th- we're going to re- probably stand in to learn more about his character and his world by associating more with uh, with Sandra Bullock's character, and so I think that's really the role she plays. I, I mean, I think she's a protagonist in 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 a lot of senses, you know, but I I, I think. Her and and Spartan are both the kind of main character. I think they. I mean, it, they complement each other movie, well. I think. It, well, it's interesting because John Spartan is the audience surrogate into San Angeles. He's the one that doesn't know how to use the seashells, just like yeah. we don't know how to use the seashells. He's the one that doesn't know about Arnold Schwarzenegger being president in that world, just like we don't. Uh, he's the one that doesn't know about Taco Bell. But Sandra Bullock is the one who doesn't know about you know being in an action movie. And I think right. they, they they serve as dual protagonists in ways that are really interesting and complementary to each other. Uh, he She is the one that points out, well, you and I are the man and woman in this movie, and there's just been an action scene, so now we have to have sex. 
Yeah. yeah, you know it's time to have sex, right? Which is a really funny moment. It is hilarious. It's a great moment. I love that they let her be the character that just says this is what happens next in the movie. Is Ooh. we have sex. You mean fluid transfer? Yeah, and then John Spartan gets to be the one who says, "Wait a second, we're not going to bang. We're just going to put on VR headsets. What's yep. happening?" Oh, uh, you know uh, the the hunka chunka, the wild so mambo, the hunka chunka. <laughs> Never. Heard. No one has ever called it that. The wild mamba, the hunka chunka. <laughs> Is that an ice cream? Listener, if you have ever heard oh, anyone... The Chunka is not an ice cream, my friend. If you have ever heard somebody in real life called sex, just the Hunka Chunka, please write into the show. If somebody offers you a snow cone of Hunka Chunka, man, don't eat yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm about to It's like right in Mean now. Girls when uh, he asks if uh, she wants to have her uh, biscuit buttered or mu- muffin buttered. I can't remember. Yeah, don't don't say yes to a question like that. <laughs> no, you do, you, you're not interested, man. Pass, uh, pass, I, pass, I, pass. I guess I don't have any like real theory or analysis to bring to this other than just to kind of enumerate what my my thoughts about sure. her as a protagonist were. But um, again, I think she really carries this movie. and uh, I think she's very, very solid. I do feel like she's a bit dopey. She's supposed to well, be, Well, she's though. naive. I, she I, has I an idea of what the... But, I, I have an idea of the 50s because of all the media I've consumed about the 50s. But the 50s weren't the good old days. But yeah. yeah if, but it's and a, I think it's, that's the world she lives in. I feel like it's a little bit of a gender dopiness. I don't really have like a hard, mm, solid way okay. to state this. I get what you're saying. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I do get the sense that, yes, she's dopey. And so is Benjamin Bratt. Right. And so is Rob Schneider. But her particular dopiness is a is is a very gendered, it's super feminine, yeah, super feminine dopiness, and that is a little repulsive. I, I get what More you're saying. I, the counter argument I would have is that the ways in which she steps into roles of authority and shot calling are yeah. are kind of agendered a little bit. Um, it's just she she is a person who is ready. Okay, you're right. There, she put on a, she puts on a masculine hat. Okay, yeah. all right, all right, all right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's it's a it's a it's more troubled waters than I initially gave credit, but uh, I I still think it's the performance of the movie, and I think it's yeah. the best character in the movie, oh, I hands think so. down. Yeah. I, I mean, I love her in it. So yeah. Yeah. I again, it, the movie should. I guess in my my idealized version of Demolition Man, it's a movie about Leanna Huxley and less about John Spartan. Well, that's the Paul Verhoeven version. Fucking a right, it is right. Well, there you go, dear listener. I think those are our thoughts on The Demolition Man. Let's come to the part of the show where we render a verdict on this film, uh, the last of our 90s action movie marathon films. This has been a... F- I, guys, I can't tell you how much fun this marathon has been for me. Yeah, we'll do another one of these. Because, yeah, this has been a blast. Well, these are the kind... As Arthur pointed out when we first started this marathon, these are, are the movies that are our bread and butter. Blame it on my roots, man. I showed up in action movies, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Sure enough. Um, so, let's do that thing. Arthur, what do you say about Demolition Man, show for trash, else or instead, though perhaps our rankings may have revealed some of our thoughts. I'm going to shelf it. I, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. It's it's a lot of fun. I think there's a lot to break open there and talk about. And I think it's kind of a hidden gem of the early 90s. I mean, I remember, I think I watched the, made, the, the TV cut on Fox or something when I was a kid, and I remember you know a lot of the th- things that kind of stuck out and uh, Wesley Snipes, Versex, like those things kind of stick with you, I, I think. So I yeah, think Versex of... will stick with you when you're <laughs> when you're uh, ten years old. Yeah, I, so I, I definitely think it's a lot Hot. of fun. Um, I'm just very fascinated by this world that has been 
built here in, in San Angeles. Uh, I think uh, with it, I'm going to talk about some other people where cryogenics has played into the story, yes. or frozen in time at least. And I think you watch Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, another satire spoofing those James Bond films, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, I uh, drink a lot of water nowadays, and so I spend a lot of time in the bathroom, and, and I think so often of him coming out of <laughs> it's a great joke. 40 years of or 30 years of, of being frozen in time and just peeing for like five minutes, and I think about that all the time. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. I think you also watch uh, Batman and Robin uh, and, and Mr. Freeze. There's like this thing about cryogenics in the, the 90s. It, w- it was even part of uh, Lost in Space. It was part of uh, Futurama, which we mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah, and, the and, 90s were obsessed with cryogenics. Yeah, and Disney. Uh, and um, and lastly, I think you watch uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, another man out of time trying to figure out this modern world. Uh, that he's living in. And so those would be my picks. Good All pick, Arthur. righty. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Elsewhere instead for Demolition Man. I am also going to say Shelf. I, I think it is, a yeah, just an underserved movie uh, of this decade. It, it really is just such a good movie. Uh, and and it, it never stopped surprising me. And I, I had watched it maybe two or three years ago. Um but even in this rewatch, I just kept being surprised by what a good time I was having until that third act, which we've we've all kind of quibbled with a little bit, uh, uh, Arthur and myself more so than Dustin. But yeah, I, I think it's very shelfable uh, just because I, I think there's so much more going on here than you get in your standard 90s action movie. But what should you pair with it? Well, uh, let's take a trip down uh, the filmographies of uh, to the actors who have frankly, a much more interesting body of work than Sylvester Stallone. Uh, it's going to be Wesley Snipes and, uh, uh, I almost said Susan Sarandon. That's not who's in this movie. Sandra Bullock. No. Uh, Wesley Snipes, I think if you really want to dive into his filmography, I think you should start with White Men Can't Jump because it's, it's kind of the rare drama for him. Uh, and again, now again, it's a funny drama and, uh, he does unfortunately play second bill to, uh, Woody Harrelson's character in that movie, but he's just so damn good in it. Um, I, I started to go Passenger 57, but it's 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 more action movie, and I, I think there's plenty of uh, action films starring Wesley Snipes. There's not enough, you know, family dramas starring Wesley Snipes, and I, I just think he's so good in that movie. Um, and then I, I would say, watch the movie where Sandra Bullock does get to be the star of her own action movie. Watch Miss Congeniality, also co-starring Benjamin Bratt. It's very good. Uh, in fact, it's so good, I think we should do it on this show. In fact, Sandra in fact, Bullock is yes. so good. I think we should do a Sandra Bullock marathon, close it out with speed, and segue into the long theorized uh, Keanu Reeves marathon. That's <sighs> what we're going to do. I'm uh, not opposed to any of these words. I have been wanting to tell you guys about this idea for like four days now and decided to wait to tell you live on the show. Uh, this is sometimes how it happens, listener. We, we just could have uh, rejected you. Like, you could have been met by crickets. No, I knew you guys were going to be down for this. Idea. All right. Here's, so what, w- w- where do we start with Sandra Bullock? Well, we, we, we would have started with Demolition Man, but we did that already. Yeah. So we, I think we start with Miss Congeniality. Yes. No. I think you start with Practical Magic. <gasps> Damn, you're right. My man. Okay, Practical Magic, Miss Congeniality, Ocean's 8, Speed. I'm there. There. Yeah, and then we use speed to segue to the Keanu marathon. We're not going to do the blind side. No, we're not going to do the blind side. <laughs> Honestly, us. we probably should do the blind side because it is it's trash. It's, it's trash. It's 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 genre. It is a good trash genre cast. It, it is a trash I movie. I don't care that she won an Oscar for it. It's no. definitely a trash. movie. It is middle brow mom trash. It's the opposite of what we you know because we're yeah, a bunch it's of like, guys in their twenties. It's a quote and 30s. unquote feel good movie of the year. Exactly. 
Yeah. We're a bunch of guys Which in the means 20s and something. 30s. We want to watch action movies. But yeah, moms have their own kind of trash content. And it's, yeah, moms love the blind side. Mm-hmm. Well, white moms love the blind side, I, specifically. Uh, I remember when that movie came out. Yeah, it was uh, The Soup Du Jour. Uh, so, God, there's such a great, there's a great joke in American In Vandals. a long line of, uh, of white people helping. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's good that they have their white saviors. There's a great joke in uh, American Vandal Season 2 about uh, an English teacher who loves the blind side. It's, it's funny. It's so funny. It's gross. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, last but not least, I think you do uh, Hot Fuzz, another movie about a hero cop forced into a uh, supposed utopia that turns out to be a little bit grimmer and darker uh, than it is on the Dig surface. It. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm also going to say Shelf. This movie's great. It's lots of fun. It is ideologically troubled, but that does not make it any less interesting and any less fun and worth your time. So do indeed put your thinking cap on and take a look at Demolition Man. Uh, to make it a uh, triple feature, you also watch Last Action Hero of the same year, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Braunschweiger, which is a very, very funny joke, and then also Bruce Willis in The Fifth Element to get some more cuckoo banana pants action cinema from the mid to or, you know early 90s. And so that would be my set of recommends uh, with Demolition Man. So there you go, dear listener. We like this movie a lot, and we had a good conversation about it. Was so, it, uh, was it good enough to win you over for one more week? I'm done. Are you sure? I'm this done. is it. Are we calling it here on Demolition Man? I, I don't want to do it. Episode two ninety three. That's it. Well, I got bad news for you, Dustin. We what? all already watched the movie that you picked for next week. That's so, right. Uh, oh man, we get re- yeah. I'm dropping the kayfabe. I don't believe in it. Oh. Uh, well, since that spoiler alert is there, uh, we're going to go ahead and it is the end of the year. We need to start prepping for our end of the year list. And since Dustin only watches about four. Uh, current events movies a year uh, we really need to give them some uh, more fodder and so we're all going to take turns picking some blind spots that we want to catch up on for before we make our best of the year list and uh, so we're going to start that off next week and we're giving pops the first pick so pops uh, what are we watching? So I'm going to pretend like everything Dalton said didn't happen. Oh, if I get to pick a movie, I guess I'll stay on Um, in that case. And so I guess I'll pick the uh, Netflix film um, because I like Chris Pine and I like swords and that kind of stuff. He likes Chris's Pine. I do like Oh, I'm down with that CPD. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> Who? Uh, anyway, uh, so Braveheart two, uh, Outlaw King starring Chris Pine. Uh, that's what I want to see. Uh, you have to watch that now, and we'll talk about it um, when we get together again. So there you go, dear listener. You've uh, just had a good time. I hope uh, listening to us talk about Demolition Man. Stay tuned for next week as we talk about Outlaw King. Uh, you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, a product of Good Trash Media. For more Good Trash content, head over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro is, as always, an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. No, not that Aaron Rodgers. And our outro this week is the one and only Demolition Man by the man known as Sting. Not that Sting, the other Sting. Yeah, that Sting. The one. He was part of the police, not part of the NWO. Are you still listening? I don't think you are. If you are, go ahead and send us a tweet and tell me what I'm jabbering on about. I love the sweet, dulcet tones of Sting. I wish he had never left the police. Uh, it does feel like he's always watching me. He's here in spirit, up in the rafters, looking at... Nope, that's the other Sting. I'm sorry, this is just getting out of hand. We'll see you next time.